<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, friends. Good to see you today and welcome. Welcome to this latest edition of the Bill Press Pod and our weekly pod table and what a wild week it's been. It started with President Trump telling four members of Congress to go back where they came from and ended with members of the president's own family telling him he'd gone too far. In between, Donald Trump was seen on video partying with pedophile Jeff Epstein. The United States shot down an Iranian drone. CNN selected and divided up 20 candidates for the next presidential debate and the House of Representatives voted to raise the minimum wage, but not to impeach Donald Trump. So much to talk about, so little time. So let's jump right in with three astute observers of the national political scene. Joining us today, Joe Williams, Senior News Editor of U.S. News and World Report. Joe, great to see you. Nice to be here. Hannah Trudeau is politics reporter for The Daily Beast, thedailybeast.com. Hi, Hannah. Hi. Hi, good to see you. And Brad Woodhouse, former communications director for the DNC, now president of Protect Our Care. Hello, hey, Brad. Bill. How are you? I'm doing good. Good Thank morning. You. Good to see you all. Uh, and later, we should have done this outside. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Where it's only 99 and feels like 110 today. Uh, later in the Bill Press Pod, I did sit down this week with Roland Martin, former editor of the Chicago Defender, former CNN contributor. And now he's the host and uh, this executive producer of the daily digital news show called uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered, aimed at African-Americans. And we'll be talking with Roland later in the show as well. So um, Joe and Brad and Hannah, um, we've asked this question with Donald Trump saying to four women, members of Congress, women of color, you ought to go back where you came from. We've asked this question before. Let's ask it again. Did Donald Trump finally go too far? Hannah? Ooh, yeah, I think he went too far this time, but I think he's been going too far uh, throughout his entire administration that we've seen. I mean, this is just another layer of it. Uh, you know, I think what's interesting about him saying it this time is that we heard a new chant coming from his uh, his rally, his supporters. Um, and we also have something, you know, where we're gearing up full speed ahead to a presidential election. So we have something that can really unite the the opposition, the Democrats, when he says these kinds of comments out loud. And of course, we've heard him say um, not this exact comment, but things in the same vein for for two years now, three years now almost. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think the Democrats, you know, took took notice of what he said. And I think they'll continue to use it against him I moving guess, into 2020. I'm sorry, Joe, I guess the, the flip of the question is, can he go too far? <laughs> no. <laughs> Actually, in, in, in hearing that question, I keep thinking about the scene from Spinal Tap. This amp goes up to 11. That's what's special about it. That's what's special about this president. He goes up to 11. But I think there are a couple more notches. because the, the, and, the, and the reason why I believe that is, number one, he didn't have a lot of people coming out on his party saying, you know what, dude, chill it. 
you know, that's way too much. Do not do that again. You had some backdoor grumbling. You had some people saying, I don't think the president's a racist. I mean, he will go too far when his own party publicly censures him. And they have not done that. He will go too far when rallies and, and, and chants that start at those rallies don't go beyond them. But I think we've just heard his new greatest hit. So I think at the next rally, you're going you're gonna to hear it. At the rally after that, you're going to hear it. And until he, his own party says, knock it off, he has not gone too far. But Brad, this time, reportedly, Ivanka and Melania and I don't know who else, maybe Jared, I, said, <clears throat> well, daddy... Too much. But but just give me a break. I mean, how many times throughout his presidency have we heard, well, you know, Javanka is really concerned and they're apologizing for the president's um, rhetoric or his policies to their friends in, you know, in New York and Manhattan and social circles. I mean, th- this is partly covering their own uh, credibility and, you know, and reputations. Now, it, obviously... Or, or- Covering their own ass. Covering their own ass, right. You can say that on the podcast. Yes. Yes. Now, certainly, it it sounds like there was a scene with the vice president and senators that that got back to the the president and just, you know, anyone that thinks he really disavowed this or – uh, or walked it back has not followed his pattern. I mean, he he will he will say it was the crowd. He'll lie and say you know that I tried to shut it down immediately, which is not true. But I, I agree with Joe. It will happen again, and the next time he will just shrug his shoulders and he'll continue to fan these flames. At one place where he did go too far is that is that there was a discussion a, a, a fight. Within the Democratic Party, there's a fight between part of this squad, Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. And, and as Hannah said, he just like a, it snapped his fingers and unified those people. And they've met and they've taken down uh, negative tweets, you know, focused at, at one another. And now he's unified uh, the squad and Nancy Pelosi against, uh, you know, against him. And I think that, you know, the, the classic is you don't you don't uh, get in the way of somebody shooting themselves in the foot. And he got in the way. Well, so, and I think that the unity might be temporary, though. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree. You know, but he, he, well, he lowered they're Democrats. The right. Among Democrats. I, yeah, exactly. They're Democrats. <laughs> right, so. It's yeah, kind of what Democrats don't are expect Democrat. too much. But but I and, and I but I, I agree with you, Brad. But I also think that it's going to be temporary. And he is going to do the sorry, not sorry shrug, mm-hmm. biggest heel, biggest toe into the carpet, and maybe say mouth the words that he didn't mean it or that he went too far. But I think that that if anybody behind the scenes thinks this is a real problem, they will say so publicly. Mm-hmm. And until they do so, it's not going to be a problem. Okay. Uh, obviously, jump in anytime any of you guys want, but I, but I want to uh, challenge you as journalists, uh, even you, Brad. Um, <laughs> How do you handle this when, so the morning after, in the Oval Office, the pool is brought in. David Jackson, who's as good a reporter as anybody covering the White House, from uh, U.S. News, I'm, I'm sorry, um, USA, USA Today, yeah. uh, asked the president, why didn't you stop it? And here, so here's what the president said. Well, number one, I, I think I did. I started speaking very quickly. It, it really was a loud, I disagree with it, by the way. Uh, well, Omar here's what happened. Has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. Mm-hmm. 
nine well, times. He jumped right in, didn't he? He jumped right in. <laughs> he jumped With right both in. Feet, nine fast. times, and he's just, you've seen the, we've all seen the video. He's just looking around yeah. the hall, he's right? He's basking sure. in it. He, he is, is reveling in it. Right. As a journalist. What well, do you, you can see it on. I mean, just look at the video How can you tape. report that the president says, I stopped it, when it's so clear, Hannah? He didn't. Well, stop I mean, it. you can report that he said he did. I think the video speaks, you know, more clearly for everybody to, to witness what happened. And like we were just sitting here counting, literally on our hands, the amount of times that th- those those chants went on. Uh, so I think you know, with, with uh, I don't personally cover Trump, you know, but uh, I think you know what what I've observed is like. Uh, you know, people who tend to cover the, the ins and outs of the White House look at basically just what he said, report out what he said, and then do fact checking on their own as they as they should. And and oftentimes, obviously, as we all know, um, the facts don't match up to the the words that he says. So, Joe, what do you say? He lied. Yeah, I mean, because he kind of did, uh, and and we've str- <laughs> we've struggled with this for 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 years. And you know, ever since this guy hit the national scene. And I'm having a discussion with a friend of mine in Minnesota uh, who's also a journalist, and we're like, well, wait a minute. You know, her position is, well, we we can't call him a liar. We can't say that he lied. We can just report and present the facts. Well, I would kind of beg to differ with that, saying that you kind of have to inform your readers that that is not true. I mean, and, and you can put his version of what he said against what actually happened and, and compare notes, but... Sometimes you kind of have to call it out. I think Ashley well, Parker did a really good job in the Washington Post this morning. Uh, she wrote a story that talked about how the racist tweet uh, started a conversation and led to a chant by his supporters in three days. And that's because not only did he not shut it down at the rally, he doubled down on it after he tweeted it. He spent two days talking about these women. He spent two days trying to defend and, and insist that what he is saying is true and he stands behind it. And of course, his supporters are going to pick up on that. And also in the Washington Post, Brad, a couple of days ago, yeah. uh, the famous George Conway, <laughs> uh, with, of course, full permission from his wife. Um, How does that marriage but, work, by the way? I wonder. Who knows? Uh, published an op-ed where he said, before this, I, I, I always said, no, Donald Trump's not a racist. He just says some racist things once in a while. Now I well, th- now, I don't even now get that. I <laughs> right that's now he said, statement in itself now yeah. George Conway says no yeah. he's a racist and you got to call him a racist well he, he look he absolutely is and I think many of us said he was a racist when he you know after he went down the uh, the escalator in Trump Tower and announced his presidency talking about rapists and murderers coming in you know coming in from Mexico so I mean some of us have been on the racist. Um, uh, theme, you know, for, uh, you know, for a long time, but, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. And look, it's not an accident. I mean, you know, uh, Jeff Merkley has been to these, uh, detention centers. He's been to these concentration camps. He's been to the places that, uh, that these children and, and men and women and families are caged and he's been just as vocal, but the president's not suggesting that Jeff Merkley be sent back to Ireland or that he should go back to Ireland. I mean, it, it, there's no damn coincidence about, you know, what the president is doing. Women of color, uh, that he's saying that they should be sent back because, and it's not because they're anti-American it's because they're anti-Trump. I mean, well, that's uh, what this is about. Well, Joe alluded to this a little earlier. Uh, what was, um, of course, l- right away we heard all the loud cries from the Republican leadership about Mr. President, how <laughs> dare you do this? The loud cries of protest led by uh, Senate Leader Mitch McConnell. 
Well, look, he's right about the uh, the squad wanting to turn us into a socialist country. What he sh should have added, however, is it's a lot broader than just the four of them. You know, the Speaker, the Democratic leader of the Senate, and a whole lot of others, including the presidential candidates, have all signed up. So I think the president's on to something. Yeah, he's on to something. Um, and Kevin McCarthy chimed in as well, basically defending the president, saying he wasn't talking about anybody individually, Hannah. Well, it's like going back to your earlier question of did he go too far? I mean, it depends on who you ask. So if you're <laughs> looking at it from the Republican standpoint and from his own party, no, of course. I mean, like, you know, like everybody has said so far, he didn't go um, too far. But I do think that this is just one more, you know, to my earlier point, this is one more notch in the, in the Democrats' um, belt, a tool, a toolbox or whatever of, uh, you know, things to use against him. You know, John, or Brad, I was thinking that when I heard him say that, that back to the 2016 and remembering those debates with 16 yeah. candidates right on stage, no one of those other candidates would ever, had they been elected, would ever have said anything like this or gotten away with it. Well, well, well of course right? not. I mean, the, the, this party is the party of Trump. It's the party of Trump's base. It's the party of what Trump thinks he needs to do to be successful politically. I'd, I'd like to just take an aside here with with Mitch McConnell. I mean, this is the, the layers of corruption uh, of Mitch McConnell and his defense of in uh, his defense of Donald Trump. I mean, let's just remember, his wife is Secretary of Transportation. His wife is feeding projects to Kentucky to get him reelected as a United States senator. His wife works for Donald Trump. Of course he's going to come out. And by the way, he, you know, he, you can tell he's been in Washington a long time because he, he immediately did what their campaign strategy is, which is to tar the Democratic Party as being, as being socialist and, and, and completely avoided, uh, avoided the issue. But that has been the, the, the nature of all of their comments about what's been going on with, with, with President Trump. The handful of Republicans who actually did manage to say something said, well, the Democrats certainly are going to be socialist and they're going to send us in a certain direction. But those, those tweets and those comments were really awful. He should not do that. Bad president, <laughs> no bone. I mean, and and I think that the Democrats are terrible, well, and the president maybe yeah, made a mistake. Yeah, he right. Made a mistake. Yeah. He's, he's a guy. He's yeah. a human. But uh, I think that that, that two real, really really quick points is number one, you know, the combination will not come uh, and will not come vociferously and will not come without strings attached, i.e., criticism of the opposite party. It also will not happen until he actually kills somebody, and my and perhaps not even then. I mean, you know, that's probably a, a bridge too far, but, you know, I, don't, I can't imagine him, I can't envision him killing anybody, but certainly, you know, when he did say that he could kill somebody and not lose his support, that's largely been borne out. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and the third thing is, I, I, I wonder if these are deliberate in some way. I mean, is this like, I, I also envision the Dave Chappelle uh, meme where he's throwing, throwing the water, the, the, the water pitcher, he's knocking it over and he's running out of the room. I mean, what is he trying not to let us look at? Let me pick up on that because, um, a couple of days ago, I sat down with Roland Martin, as I mentioned, uh, and, um, you know, he sees this really as very deliberate on Donald Trump's part to reinforce what he sees as what's driving the entire strategy of Donald Trump and the Republican Party, which is white fear. Here's just a little uh, excerpt from uh, our conversation. America is a nation that was created through the prism of white people which means everything was based upon how white people thought and felt. The white fear was, oh my God, our view of the world, which, which has been America's view, now is about to be shifted. So what happens? 
Obama gets elected. All of a sudden, oh my God, what the hell's going on? We're losing grip of what is ours. They're scared that the world that they have known is not gonna be the world in 25 years and they can't stop it. And that's why Republicans are trying to slow it down with immigration. That's why they're trying to impact, put voter suppression in. That's why they're trying to put in as many right-wing, white, male, conservative judges. Because if I put somebody on the court who's 35, in 50 years, he'll be 85. If we're a nation of majority of people of color in 24 years, that mm -hmm. means that person is still sitting on the bench for another 26 years. That's the strategy. Is that what it's all about, Joe? Yeah, in a word, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's little to disagree with there. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's kind of hard to to. I mean, and and I would go even further and say that this has been a strategy for for many many years. If you look at if you take mm -hmm. the long view, I mean, all the way back to um, President Reagan, who talked about uh, welfare queens, who talked about uh, government is not the problem, or government is not the solution is the problem, who talked about all these things that that suggest that the the, the systems that were in place to help um, disadvantaged people, to help uh, the nation become a greater and more perfect union, they need to be destroyed. They're not helping you, the, 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 the person who feels like this is your country and that you're losing it. This is the strategy. And, and the judges thing is very clear. I, I covered the Supreme Court for quite a while. And you, you can even look, uh, I mean, far-term history, yes, Ronald Reagan, near-term history, Mitch McConnell where you talk about uh, Merrick Garland and you talk about uh, the, the unprecedented, I mean, before Trump, he had an unprecedented, something had never been done before, reason to block a sitting president from appointing a Supreme Court justice. An African-American president at Absolutely, that, right? at yeah. that. And, 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 and uh, tweak it a few years earlier, Mr. One-Term President, Mitch McConnell, we are not going to do anything to advance the American agenda. We're not going to do anything to help Americans because this president is proposing it. Yep. So, Hannah, it works definitely for Donald Trump's base. And uh, if you look at that crowd in North Carolina, I think you would have been hard-pressed to find any person of color in that whole crowd. Does it? Is that enough for Donald Trump? Well, from the Democrat side, they're hoping it's it's not obviously right. So they're look they're they're looking to two things: uh, increase additional turnout for for voters who may have sat out the last election, not liked either candidate. Um, but they're also looking to you know make a little bit of inroads in and uh, you know in those in those areas in the Midwest in particular um, with white working class voters who he so uh, sort of capably uh, moved over to, to his side, who perhaps voted for Obama last time. So, um, you know, that gets into the the argument of who is the best to take on Trump, who is the best to um, mobilize those voters. Um, so the Democrats are certainly hoping that it's not going to be enough. But it's a divisive strategy from day one. Yeah, right? well, it, it, it looked from the day he came down that escalator, it's been a divisive strategy. Is it enough uh, for him to be reelected, I think the evidence from 2016 is is that it is, and everyone recognizes this is a different election. Hillary Clinton's not going to be, uh, you know, not going to be the nominee. But we also live in an electoral college majority, not a not a majority of voters determining uh, who the you know who the president is, and and it possibly could be enough. I mean, I, look, you know, there was an NBC poll this week. I mean, his approval rating was at 45 percent. The other and thing I, is the money yeah. advantage that he has. Well, right, I, mean, it's, right. it's, I think, I mean, Democrats, uh, they, it, there's no question that they have their work cut out for them because, you know, the, the polling indicates that obviously that the cash on hand is just unmatched by any of the top tier candidates right now. And there's also the question, like we talked about earlier, of the infighting among the parties. I and mean, so. Axios said this morning, had a thing this morning, no incumbent president has lost re-election 
uh, since the 1930s if they weren't facing a recession. And so, you know, the economy, the economy is going well. They did some focus groups where people said, I don't like a ton of his personality. I don't like his tweets. But if the, you know, at least one voter said, but if the economy doesn't crash, I don't see how I can, how I can vote against him. So the, I think Hannah's right. This is the Democratic Party really has to grapple with what is the best approach. And part of the discussion this week has been, you know, is responding to his racist and divisive strategy um, or activity, is that the right approach? Well, I'd say morally they have to respond. I mean, you know, the idea that you ignore it and just talk about the tax cut being tilted to the wealthy or ignore it and just talk about health care. Uh, but it is, it, it, I think Hannah's right, it is, it's, a, it's a tricky balance for, for Democrats to figure out how they respond to Trump, how they put out their own agenda, and how we settle on a nominee that can win. Today's podcast here uh, at our roundtable with uh, Joe Williams and Hannah Trudeau and uh, Brad Woodhouse. We're brought to you today now by the International Association of Firefighters. Yes, those good men and women of our firefighting departments all across the land, you see them roaring by every day on the way to uh, help some American family. That's what they do. They're on the front lines every day under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. We salute them and uh, thank them for their support of the podcast. Direct you to their website at iaff.org. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we continue on this Friday, July 19, about 8.30 here in our nation's capital, looking back at the week that was. So um, this whole flap we've been talking about with Donald Trump and the versus the squad and the chant 
uh, and then what the strategy is of the GOP started when the members of the squad, the four uh, Democratic uh, women, congresswomen, uh, voted against uh, a border funding bill, broke with the Speaker of the House, their, uh, the head of their own caucus, uh, and everybody was saying, boy, this just proves the disunity in the Democratic Party. Brad, do we make too much of this? Well, I, I think I think we can we can make too much of it, and I agree with Joe. I think there is th- th- there is a lot to be said about the party is going, uh, and this is happening in the presidential primary. We see it happening with the difference of opinion on uh, on impeachment and how to how to approach Trump. There is a fair amount of disunity within uh, within the Democratic Party. That's why you know my bias because I'm involved in healthcare every day is that is that you know Democrats should rally around. Uh, what we think, what we see, and what the polls show will most likely work to defeat Donald Trump, which is bread and butter issues. The people that he, the promises he's failed to keep, the he hasn't done, he hasn't revived coal, he hasn't revived steel, he didn't keep the Lordstown plant uh, in in Ohio, the GM plant, uh, and he has prosecuted a war on you know war on American health care. Those things unite uh, uh, the Democratic Party. It's going to take though. Uh, I believe getting to a nominee, which is going to take a while, <laughs> it's going to take getting to a nominee to really, I think, unify the party. And then I think there will still be, I think we'll go all the way up until uh, until Election Day 2020 with a debate, if it hadn't occurred, with a debate over impeachment and, and the way to approach Trump. Do these disagreements in the uh, inside the Democratic caucus end up helping Donald Trump? I don't think so. I think they help him in the short term. I don't think they help him long term. I mean, I, I, I agree with Brad and Hannah that that yes, it is not a good look, uh, especially when you have a president who tells uh, untruths with impunity and who is willing to go where no president has gone before in stoking racial fear and racial resentment. Um, and we all know that fear is the world's greatest motivator. So, in fomenting fear, Trump has is is going. Is, is dancing with who brung him, right? He's he's continuing to 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 stoke. Mm-hmm. I I wonder, and this might be the the rosy eyed optimist in me, but I might wonder whether or not that's going to be enough to return him. I mean, keep in mind that in 2016, not only did we have uh, an, an economy where where it wasn't, it was still going very, pretty good. It was still going pretty good, and 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 it seemed to to advantage uh, the Democrats. But we also had interference in the election. We also had a candidate mm-hmm. who was not exciting, who was a, a familiar face. We had uh, a, a lot of stories about uh, resentment and, and uh, economic anxiety in the hinterlands. Uh, there were a lot of factors there. Um, but I, I also keep thinking that in the two elections that Obama won, black voters overperformed. You know, mm-hmm. they overperformed above and beyond. When Hillary ran, there was not a whole lot of excitement, so black voters performed on average. And that led to a loss. You can look at the last three Democratic presidents where that happened to. Al Gore, average performance by black voters. John mm-hmm. Kerry, same thing. Barack Obama, you know, turnout through the roof. Um, so I, I, I often wonder whether or not a broad-based strategy, certainly the issues are important, but I wonder whether or not trying to chase suburban voters, trying to chase Trump voters is a, is, is a winning strategy because they, by and large, in, in, in my view, they have not t- have tended not to support Democrats for the very reason that Donald Trump is president. Yeah. So, Hannah, um, we're down to the big five. Or maybe we're not down to, but at the <laughs> present time, it's kind of evolved that there's the they're calling them the big five, right? Joe Bar- Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, um, Pete 
Buddha judge. And who am I for? Bernie Sanders, of course. Right. Oh, Bill, come on. Oh, my God. Um, it's pretty bad when you forget yeah, Bernie, yeah, Bill. Yeah. Bernie, forgive me. Um, it's hot here in D.C. Yeah. Is it too late for any of the others to break through? It's it's hard for me to say that, you know, it like with the with the straight face, but uh, they, those five certainly have the advantage right now: fundraising advantage, polling advantage, enthusiasm advantage. I mean, Cory Booker's running around there saying, "You know, come on, come on." There's a lot of time left, Cor- and, and Cory there Bo- is. Cory Booker's not alone in that. Yeah, you know, right, it's right. almost the whole. Pa- it's 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 almost the whole um, bottom tier, and and it's it's strange to me to put a New Jersey senator, a New York senator, Kirsten Gillibrand, in those in that very bottom tier. But that's what we've seen. A Minnesota senator. What do you I, think, I, Brad? I, well, I, look, I. I think you're right. I think there are, there are five candidates that are clearly, um, of course, the way the CNN divided it up, they they had four and then I want to six get to that in a minute. Right. Four yeah. and then six and then ten. But in there the are five candidates. Yeah, right. <laughs> there are five candidates that are that are dominating that are dominating the polling. I and I I think do I think there's a possibility that one other person could break out? I think there two things have to happen. Um, you need to you need to see somebody at the top have a significant decline and then and then those those voters that they that they're having their polling spread out and help boost one other candidate that's not that's not in the top five the second thing that has to happen is that person that wants to benefit from that decline so this could be someone who has a controversial story come out has a bad debate Mm -hmm. that other the person that wants to benefit from that (laughs) has to shine they've got to really really shine you cannot go in and give a mediocre uh, debate performance in Michigan. Um, and then there will be uh, more than five uh, based on the criteria. There have been a lot more than five still in the running in Houston, maybe to be down to one night. I think we all hope it's down to one night. There are way too many candidates in this in this field. I agree with the DNC's decision to tighten the criteria for the third debate. And and then that will give them, a, that will give someone another, uh, another opportunity. I do think there, there's someone below those five that is going to get a shot but it may not be a sustained Who shot. is it? Which are the ones below the five? One um, or two, do you think, or three? Well, Julio well, Castro had a very strong debate performance, mm-hmm. but for some, reason he, for some reason, he's not breaking out. Yeah. Uh, I, I, would, I would point to him. I would point to Amy Klobuchar. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand is trying to make some noise. It's really difficult to break through, though, when you've got the 500-pound gorilla in Joe Biden, you know, almost still lapping the field, even after a mediocre, some say, debate performance uh, the last go-around. So it's going to be difficult to, to, to break through because there are so many. It's mm-hmm. a traffic jam, and, yeah. and you can't get out of the pack. There's not enough money to go around, and uh, money drives a lot of what's happening here. Right. And I think it, it, all, it all depends on like the, the corollary. Like, what, what, Why is Beto suffering? It's because Biden is prospering, right? And so um, you know, the, you know, he needs, you know, Beto needs Biden to decline and Castro would need probably someone not Biden to For decline, me to succeed. You know? You've got to fail. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, 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 you gotta, there's only so many votes to go around, you know, so. Yeah. And I think even, um, among those four, those five that we were talking about, I think there's some that are stronger, you know, in the, in, in the top, within the top five, obviously Biden and, and Bernie and, and Elizabeth Warren are kind of the top three, uh, and then we see Kamala Harris's support go up and down. We see Pete Buttigieg's support go up and down. Of course, they're strong fundraising wise. Um, but I wouldn't say that those five are all even chance. You know, mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. it, it right. looks like there's there's Joe Biden is up there, like you know, like everyone's saying. But it, it but it's 
you know, Bernie Sanders was a strong number two, and he's he's fallen a little. Elizabeth Warren was a sort of three or four, and now she's kind of more looking more like two. So it's there, there's some gradients within that. Does it have Before, to do with does it have to do with electability? Do you think? I mean, there, or the perception of electability? I think so. I think so, and I, I think so uh, based on conversations that I have with people on the trail. I mean, it, it's it's interesting to me because. Uh, nine times out of 10, I'll hear people say why they like Biden because he's the one who can beat Trump. And uh, nine times out of 10, I'll hear people say, I don't like, I like Elizabeth Warren, but I don't think she can beat Trump. So it's, it's that kind of thing. And uh, I think the perception is flexible. I think that can change because we see Warren um, going up in the polls and having strong, she out, outraised Bernie by a million dollars fundraising wise. So I think that's a little bit different, but I still hear people on the trail say, I don't think a woman should go up against him. I hear, I hear, hear women say that. I hear all kinds of people say that. Uh, we, so yeah. We, uh, if it beat this one to death too, we could, but uh, I'd like to, <laughs> something else happened this week that I think uh, a video surfaced from uh, from NBC. Now, we all have a lot of friends in Washington, and sometimes our friends get in trouble. Uh, and I guess maybe sometimes we try to do what Donald Trump does, is deny that we ever knew them. And, of course, I'm talking about Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, and the tape that came out with uh, Donald Trump really uh, having a good time at a party with Jeff Epstein, surrounded by young, beautiful women down at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, what is his relationship with Jeff Epstein? Here's the president. Well, I knew him like everybody in Palm Beach knew him. I mean, people in Palm Beach knew him. He was a fixture in Palm Beach. Uh, I had a falling out with him a long time ago. I don't think I've spoken to him for 15 years. Uh, I wasn't a fan. I was not, yeah, a long time ago. I'd, I'd say maybe 15 years. Uh, I was not a fan of his, that I can tell you. Mm-hmm. So he hardly <laughs> knew Paul Manafort. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he hardly knew Michael Cohen. <laughs> He hardly knew. He hardly knew Michael Flynn, <laughs> right. and he hardly knew Jeff Epstein. You get away with it this. Seems like he has very meaningful relationships with people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, you know, we have to see what comes. <clears throat> we have to see what comes out. I mean, obviously, he's full of crap. I mean, it's, Don, it's Donald Trump. But I mean, and that, you know, I mean, you, you know, of course, the Access Hollywood tape didn't keep him from getting getting elected. I guess he thought the Stormy Daniel controversy might, so he participated in a crime with Michael Cohen for which he won't be charged because he's president. Um, you know, he thought that might keep him from getting elected president. But this, this I think, will go by the wayside. And, there, and there's some suggestion that, you know, the Epstein corruption is bipartisan. So, mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or, or at least his, his relationships are, you know, are bipartisan. So there are a lot of people that stand to... Uh, be smeared by this, but that, but that, but this is the video was just gross. I mean, the, just the two of them just ogling 25 or 30 women and the comments and it's kind of, you know, but, but it, you know, it's all what we already knew about Donald Trump. So I don't think it really, it, it seems the Joe, the people to Brad's point, the people just sort of have accepted, right. That he was, <laughs> which is, which is really sad. <laughs> I, know, a lot of, I mean, if, if you, if you, if Brad's point, He's, he's seemingly impervious. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, I think that that this ties two things together in, in in my fevered brain. The first is that yes, we don't care what this guy does because he says what we like, and he and 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 Roland's comment. Well, he says what we like in that we're a great country, we're a mostly white country, and we've got to like put a check on these other brown people who are trying to come in. We don't really want to do that anymore, even though. Our history is, is is very conflicted in that regard. I mean, immigration was a was a hard thing for for Irish and Eastern Europeans in the middle in the early part of the last century. Now it's acceptable because they look more like the people who came here for, in the first place. 
you know, when we really are a nation of immigrants. So in, in my kind of zeitgeist, it all ties into one thing, and that is Donald Trump's behavior is acceptable under all or most circumstances to his supporters because he is giving them what he what yep. they want. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. yeah I agree with that. We'll see how that plays out. I think there may be more videos, in fact, uh, coming out. Who knows, right? We shall see. Yeah. It is the Bill Press Pod, and today's roundtable we're brought to you today by the great men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa. Check out their website at teamster.org. You may be surprised to find out. Uh, the Teamsters, they represent a lot more than uh, just truck drivers today. Truck drivers still doing a great job. But as the Teamsters say, now they represent everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers. Uh, we thank them for their great work and their support of the podcast. Check out their website again at teamster.org. Back with our podcast today, uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, since so much of uh, political news this week has centered on race, I wanted to sit down with Roland Martin and get his take. Nobody knows the political scene better, uh, and nobody knows better how both parties have dealt with race than Roland Martin, former editor of the Chicago Defender, former contributor for CNN, today host and executive producer of Roland Martin Unfiltered, a daily digital news show which is aimed particularly at African-Americans with a huge audience and available for streaming on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope. I caught up with Roland in his downtown Washington studio. Roland, it's good to see you. What's happening? What's happening? Let me tell you. So let's start here. Five years ago today, up in uh, Staten Island, uh, a white police officer threw Eric Gardner to the ground Choked him to death. That's what the autopsy says. Mm -hmm. He died of asphyxiation because of that chokehold. Uh, yesterday, the Attorney General of the United States said, filing no charges, no federal charges against him. What's that tell you? Uh, first and foremost, uh, the Obama administration should not have allowed this to go to the Trump administration. Uh, they should have made the determination a lot sooner. Uh, you cannot tell me you couldn't figure out, decide whether to file charges in two years. How in the hell are you waiting five years to make that decision? That, that's, t t if a cop gets killed by somebody, you think they're waiting five years to indict? No, it's not going to happen. Uh, and and that, that really, I think, is, is problematic. Um, I remember shortly after that happened, uh, I had a conversation with a uh, high-ranking DOJ official uh, who said, quote, we're going to put his ass in jail. Well, hmm. he's not going to jail. And the most that can happen now is the administrative judge decides that uh, he shouldn't keep his job. Uh, but and, but since then, he's gotten raises. He's making over 100000 bucks a year with a desk job. And, and, and it just speaks to the problem that we have in this country. Eric Holder said that he wanted um, them to change the rules when it came to um, when it came to uh, filing civil rights charges because uh, it was so narrow. Yet I remember, in, I remember being on a town hall at the Congressional Black Caucus, ALC, with Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, and she said, I would like to see the DOJ take some damn chances. I think the problem is DOJ, and it, it, and the, the, it, look, I get it when you say we're not sure if we can get a conviction or if it's too shaky. I think their problem is if it's damn near not a guarantee we can't get one, then we're not going to pursue it. Keep in mind, the cop who the cop in South Carolina who killed Walter Scott, it was a hung jury twice 
when it came to murder, murdering Walter Scott. He pled guilty to civil rights violations. Well, that only happens if you pursue him. Mm. And right. I just think DOJ is just way too cautious. And I would rather see the Department of Justice actually lose, go to trial, put it in front of the jury, put it in front of the public, then don't even try. Do you believe that Donald Trump had anything to do with Attorney General Barr's decision? Not sure. Don't know. But what we do know is that the Civil Rights Division wanted to pursue the charges. The Eastern District of New York did not want to do it. And frankly, to me, that was bars out. We know that last weekend Donald Trump has said about four uh, women uh, of color in the United States Congress. They ought to, they ought to go back where they came from. Uh, people accused him of a racist comment. Donald Trump's response is, I don't have a racist bone in my body. Uh, let's see. That is the 10,828th lie he's told since he's been president. I, he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt of the truth, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I said I was one of the first journalists early on, I would dare say. I think I was on ABC this week, February 2017, where I called him a liar. And I said, and when liars lie, you call it what it is. I think what you have is you have a news media uh, largely run by white men who are afraid to do it. Even though a black man is running the New York Times, for some reason, they are deathly afraid to even use the word lie, which is just stupid. I mean, what, so what happens is the problem is when you say lie, people are like, oh, that's that's not fair. Or it's just is there any other way we can say it? Well, it is real simple for me. If I came home at two o'clock in the morning and my dad said, where in the hell you been? And then I began to make a, make a story up. And he's like, yo ass lying. My dad is not going to say, son, you're stretching the truth. Mm -hmm. He's not going to say, uh, no, you're sort of. No, he's going to say, yo ass lying. I call it what it is. So this whole idea, well, we have to know the motive behind it. The same thing, well, you know, he's not a racist. Bottom line is this here. And I love it when they talk about, oh, look at the black celebrities who he was around. Well, first of all, hell, slaveholders had black people in the house care for their children others they raped so this whole idea that you can't be a racist and be around black people is stupid you actually can the issue here is also his policies and what he likes to do i love this here people go yeah but look at his policies first step act okay who implemented affirmative action richard nixon arthur fletcher was behind it it was nixon lbj had a speech at howard university talked about um, talked about uh, the whole issue of affirmative action. Nixon becomes president. James Brown supports him. But we got Nixon on record denigrating black folks in audio recordings. We now have the, the notes of a Nixon aide who said the war on drugs was launched to target black people. So just because Nixon created affirmative action under his tenure don't mean Nixon didn't like black folks. That's the problem here. And Look, I use a hashtag, we tried to tell you. Black people tried to tell America. Everybody else wouldn't listen. No group voted against Donald Trump more than black people. No group. Black women, 94% voted against Donald Trump. Black men, 87% voted against Donald Trump. Nobody else, though, seems to understand that. What does, so people close to Donald Trump have said he's doing this deliberately. He knows what he's doing. 
this is his strategy. It is, but it's not. But it's not and just his strategy. It's strategy and this, the strategy of the Republican Party. Yes, right. this, but this has been their strategy since 1964. To do what? People, uh, people have to go back and understand. Republicans had a different view on civil rights on African Americans. I mean, going back, obviously, you can go back to Lincoln, you can go forward, but then when you get to, then you had this whole thing with Herbert Hoover and Lily White movement. He, then, of course, then you had Woodrow Wilson, Democrat becomes president. Then you had to sort of back and forth. But black, black people were still voting significant numbers for Republicans. It changed economically with FDR when he takes over. They still were voting significantly for Republicans when uh, Eisenhower uh, was elected. And then even they were really looking at the consideration of Nixon uh, in 1960. What flipped that whole deal was when Nixon refused to listen to Jackie Robinson and inquire about the status of Dr. King and JFK listened to folks like Louis Martin and others and made the call, even though Robert Kennedy thought it was, it was a bad idea. Black people said he made a call. He simply inquired. He cared. Then they pushed him on the civil rights. But Republicans were supporting it. People like William Buckley were supportive of civil rights. It wasn't until uh, 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 it wasn't until you had Barry Goldwater. And when he wrote his book, his book, uh, when it comes to the conscience of a conservative, that's what changed everything. And it flipped. And Republicans then began to say our way to victory is to appeal to white folks. And not really give a damn about black people. And they've they've run that play. People are like, oh, Southern strategy doesn't exist. It does exist. Now we're a whole different strategy. Now where we are is because if you go back to the polling numbers, what you saw after the civil rights movement, it was white fear. White fear of, oh my goodness, they're gonna take our jobs. Because they say, okay, we're fine. Okay, fine, y'all can go be in hotels. Okay, fine, y'all can y'all can vote. But then it was like, oh hold up, y'all trying to live in our neighborhoods? Mm-hmm. See everybody forgets. The Fair Housing Act was a part of the original Civil Rights Bill. They had to break it up. After the Civil Rights Act, uh, Voting Rights Act of 65, the Fair Housing Act, they filibustered that for three years. It only got signed to law because King got killed. Then white people still said, y'all can live with us. What did that lead to? Busing. Hello, Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Because they begin to move into their own neighborhoods, creating their own schools. We ain't trying to go to school with y'all. So, oh, you know what? I don't have going to fight uh, a school integration. We're just going to move to our neighborhoods. Y'all can't follow us because you ain't got the money. Now, what? My, but so that was... We can live away from you. The problem in 2019 is we're now living in a different world because we're 24 years away from America becoming a nation majority of people of color. So the problem now is white fear. I called this in 2009. I told John Avalon and I were at CNN waiting to go on. I said, John, we're living in the world of white minority resistance. And where I got that from, because that was a study that was done right after Obama was inaugurated, like shortly after, I think it was by Pew. And the question was, are you optimistic about the future of America for your children? Every group, black, Latino, Asian, Native American, scored more than 50%. Whites were were a minority. September 2016, the question was asked, are you optimistic about the future of America economically for the next 10 years? Black people, lowest wealth, highest optimism. Latinos, second lowest wealth, highest optimism. Asians, high optimism. White Americans, 41%. You're sitting here going, hold up, hold up. How can white folks on median have more money than everybody else in the country but have the lowest optimism? It's because when we were told America was going to become a nation majority of people of color, that was 30 plus years ago. People said, Psh, that thing is so far away, I'll be dead. Well, the problem is white folks stopped having kids. 
black folks and Latinos kept having kids. And then you throw in immigration. Now it's like, oh, shit, this thing is happening. So now this notion of what was mainstream. And see, people keep saying, oh, no, no, it's not that big of a deal. No, 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 no. This is, this is the difference. With, this is why you have to understand white fear. And then people go, oh, I'm like, it's not all white people. The problem is when you say white fear, America is a nation that was created through the prism of white people, which means everything was based upon how white people thought and felt. If you say, if you ask anybody, what's the standard of beauty for America? For years, centuries, it was a white, blonde, blue-eyed woman. Now what happens? Uh-oh, now mm. that thing begins to change. If you ask somebody, tell me about patriotism. Oh, the flag and the anthem. Well, if you read Frederick Douglass's July 4th speech, black folks had a totally different view of it. And that's why the whole Colin Kaepernick thing was different. Read Jackie Robinson's book, I Never Had It Made. He said, I would never salute that flag. I would never stand for that song. And he served in the military. So a black person's view of America and patriotism is different because of what we experience. If you're white, you've been raised that America's great and wonderful and it's patriotic, it's apple pie, and we should, you should salute. It's a whole different worldview. So when I say white fear, the fear is, and all you have to do is go back and read Patrick, Patrick Buchanan's writings 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Buchanan literally laid it out. The white fear was, oh my God, our view of the world uh, which, which is being America's view, now is about to be shifted. So what happens? Obama gets elected. Netanyahu, oh, I ain't really feeling this black dude. Different relationship. Because if you black, you ain't forgot that Israel sold weapons to the, to the racist regime in apartheid. See? Different view. You have a different view of how we treat Muslims. Because of relationship, largest, gro largest growth of Muslims in the United States, African Americans. So all of a sudden, oh my God, what the hell's going on? We're losing grip of what is ours. We're losing it. That's what's going on here. So when you keep hearing white economic anxiety, all that crap by, well, you know, I'm scared about the future. No, they're scared that the world that they have known is not gonna be the world in 25 years and they have no idea and they can't stop it. And that's why Republicans are trying to slow it down with immigration. That's why they're trying to impact, put voter suppression in. That's why they're trying to put in as many right-wing, white, male, conservative judges. Because if I put somebody on the court who's 35, in 50 years, he'll be 85. If we're a nation majority of people of color in 24 years, that mm -hmm. means that person is still sitting on the bench for another 26 years. That's the strategy. And that's the that's the... That's what's behind their whole approach to 2020. Right? All of it. If I can shrink the voting population, I then am able to keep, I can, I can, I can shave you off, you off, you off. And it's not even just African-Americans. If I can shave off young white voters, if I can move voting locations to far out places off college campuses, making it harder for you to get to, and then putting in places with small parking lots, uh, there was a woman in Wisconsin who said, a clerk, she moved an early voting location off of a college campus because too many of those white students were voting Democrat. Mm -hmm. She said it. She said it. And so the strategy is, how can we change this whole deal? In fact, the, uh, the, the white guy who died in uh, Florida, where they found his hard drive, who wrote the census question, his whole deal was, they were like, if we can get the census to only count voting age people, why? 
because the un, because the the population in almost half of our states, eighteen and under, are people of color. So so they're like, oh, can we not count? All the Latinos and black folks, if we can count voting age population, we can only still be counting largely white Americans. That's their strategy. Trump pushed those buttons in 16, and he's pushing those buttons in 2020, and he's aided by a media that refuses to have this conversation because the truth be told, in the end, the question is not, is somebody racist? Because they hold the same view. Because this, man, this stuff is changing. Because now change means you got to share power. You got to share resources. You got to share space. And that's a whole lot different than, okay, fine. Okay, we'll let y'all in our neighborhood. Now it's a whole different ballgame. And that's what's going on right here. Let me just ask you finally given that, and given that that's a strategy, we know they're up to, what they're up to. You and I do, and a lot of other people do. Um, do you feel optimistic about 2020? Oh, absolutely. No, he can be beaten. First of all, I got remind. People kill me. I was playing golf in the Bahamas, and people were like, oh, my God, he's going to win. I was like, well, I need y'all to calm the hell down. He only won the Electoral College by 77,000 votes. That's a combination of three states, 77,000 votes. Democrats grossly underestimated voter ID in Wisconsin. Elderly white people were impacted. Everybody forgot a federal judge called Governor Scott Walker in saying, wait a minute, the Obama DOJ approved your damn voter ID, and you're still dragging your damn feet. Democrats paid no attention to it. Democrats have been asleep when it comes to the issue of voter suppression. They have not understand it. And I'll say it right now. The fools in, in North Carolina who took that case to the Supreme Court were damn idiots. And this is where I need smart ass white people to learn to listen to black people. They took the Supreme took it to the Supreme Court case arguing political gerrymandering. How did they win North Carolina? Racial Racial. gerrymandering. Racial gerrymandering is political gerrymandering. So the people who filed that lawsuit separated themselves from Reverend Barber's group, chose political gerrymandering, and that's the opening they gave Supreme Court. Now they've made it harder because the Supreme Court is now on record when it comes to gerrymandering. So what has so so I'm optimistic because now I think what you're now seeing are people who are going, wait a minute, hold up. To Democrats, stop trying to convince white conservative women to come to your side. No, get your side out. If you get your side out, you can win. Obama won North Carolina by 14,100 votes in 2008. North Carolina had its highest participation in its history. They changed the damn laws. Who the hell wants to change the law when you just had the highest participation? Because damn it, Obama won. And black people turned out in crazy numbers. And so, so the only way to beat Trump is stop trying to flip people who when it comes to they walk into that voting booth, they ain't voting for you. Republican and Republican light slash Democrat, they're going to vote for Republican. So be true to who you are, but drive your people. That means put early investment, not in October, not in September, but literally Democrats should be investing right now in massive voter mobilization. These damn Democratic billionaires, they should get together and create a $200 million fund and say, we're going to do like SNCC did in the 1960s. We're going to send in a thousand people to live in Texas to register the two million eligible but unregistered Latinos who are in Texas. They keep playing this every two-year, four-year game. The Republicans are playing a 30-, 40-year game. That's the difference. Trump can be beaten, but it's only going to happen if you have massive voter mobilization. And with that wake-up call and that note of optimism and that direction, thank you, Roland Martin. Time to get to work. 
Roland Martin. Thank you, Roland Martin. And uh, back to our panel here, uh, Brad Woodhouse and uh, Hannah Trudeau and Joe Williams. I ask each of you to uh, come prepared today with uh, a favorite story of the week, something that really caught your attention for whatever reason. <laughs> Where do we go? Hannah, you want to start? Sure. Uh, mine actually happened this morning. I had a different one in mind, but uh, I, oh. I had to throw this one in because I just thought it was really interesting and encapsulates a lot of what's going on. Um, Alexi McCammond, who's a great uh, reporter mm -hmm. with, with Axios, um, reported this morning that a few of uh, John Delaney, the, the former Maryland congressman who's been running for president for a couple of years now, uh, his senior staff has encouraged him to drop out of the race by September. And, you know, it wasn't a particularly like funny story or, or memorable in any other sense uh, other than that it kind of shows, you know, this is something brewing that I'm keeping an eye on. It, these these lower tier candidates, we saw it with John Hickenlooper, uh, the former Colorado governor, the same kind of thing. His senior team was encouraging him to drop out of the race. So I'm kind of watching to see if uh, mm -hmm. that becomes a larger trend that that these people who are not catching on and, and for what it's worth, more moderate candidates. Delaney is more, you know, Republican. Can light. Obviously, John Hickenlooper is running as a pure centrist, you know, trying to go for that Biden lane. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting that, that you know, despite all the money in the world, I think he spent, I don't know how many millions of his own money on it, but uh, has, you know, been encouraged to drop out. Right. And Hickenlooper, I think, told his staff, just, you may not be getting a paycheck, so you can do whatever you want <laughs> right. to do. Right. Uh, John Delaney's got enough money, he can continue to pay them. Right. What I mean, saying. not often you see political operatives saying, kick me out of a job. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Is an yeah. interesting part yeah. of that story. It yeah. is an interesting part. You got a favorite, Brett? Well, so this this was interesting. Don't ask me how I came, uh, came across this story. It's not really related to politics, but it's an important Good. story about, you know, uh, it, it's maybe an existential story of our time. It's a story about individuality versus versus family, about, you know, can you be connected through your career and your celebrity versus your career, your celebrity, and your family. Um, and it, the title of the story, and I, I, I'm not going to get into it further. You can go, you can go Google what it. What is the story? Is Paris Hilton jealous of Kim Kardashian's domestic life? And I, it is, a, you know, I mean, there's a lot you know, there's a lot under there. I, I mean, can't is, wait. Is a career as a, a model or a DJ or, or you know, or a reality star short of marriage and kids enough? Or is Paris Hilton want more? Are those millions Kim? making her happy? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> She's jealous of Kardashian's access to Donald Trump. That's exactly right. So I, one other, one other. I found these like random the, the, these 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 just random stories on these sites that are just for clicks. Yeah, this one was somebody. Y'all must have seen this. This was a woman who got texts on her wedding day from a paramour of her fiance and was devastated. Did not want to go through with the wedding, but I mean they were literally coming to march her down the aisle. She pulled out her phone and oh. read the explicit texts aye, aye, aye. <laughs> and her fiance went off running and she had everyone stay and have a party but i thought that was wow unbelievable <laughs> whoa anyway so you can see i'm really deep into the political news this week profile so. courage yeah. Le leave your phone home yeah That's right exactly. <laughs> or take it with you in yeah, this yeah, case yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds like it Joe, what do you got? Uh, Brad has two, so I get to get two. Oh, <laughs> no, but they're very, they're very brief. They're very brief. Um, 
the first story is uh, about the uh, passing of Pumpsy Green, who was the first player to integrate the last team to integrate, which was the Boston Red Sox. Uh, he was a uh, standout uh, infielder. He was mostly a sub, but he died uh, this week. Uh, and just reading about his life was kind of fascinating to me because he left baseball and became a teacher. And he taught oh. high school and was a guidance counselor and shaped many young lives and managed to, to do that after like playing in one of the great chapels of sport. Uh, the second story like speaks to my geekness, which is uh, the, the, arm, the, the space suit that Neil Armstrong wore on the moon was refurbished. And it was, it's going to be at the Air and Space Museum, and I am going. <laughs> oh, absolutely. That is totally, yeah. is uh, totally awesome, totally cool. I grew up in Air Force Base, so I just anything about aviation, space, and aeronautics is just my thing. This week is the 50th, 50th anniversary. 50th anniversary. Of man you know, landing on the moon. Uh, just just uh, piggybacking on you, I saw that there's only one of the astronauts who walked on the moon who brought his boots back. The rest of them left their moon boots on the moon. Man. So yeah. there are these <laughs> yeah. dis disintegrating moon boots up they there. Didn't, right? They didn't they, have a claim check. Right, <laughs> or whatever it was. Um, my favorite story is, uh, you're not going to believe this, but it is true, and I challenge you to go to the Trump campaign website uh, to verify if you don't believe me. But, you know, uh, the big movement in the country today is toward paper straws, right? I mean, I check, Carol particularly, yeah. if we go in any restaurant, the first thing to check is are, when they bring you your iced tea or whatever, yeah. Plastic or paper, and if it's plastic, she raises hell. So everybody, <laughs> paper, I raise hell. I hate, I hate the paper one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Like well, that. everybody's moving into paper straws oh. at any rate, right? Uh, except the Trump campaign. Oh, the, yeah. On the Trump campaign website, they are actually selling plastic oh straws. Really funny. Oh wow! Uh, funny. The website it says you can get a packet of ten for fifteen dollars. Ten. ten. Ten straws, straws, ten plastic straws, for fifteen dollars that you can get uh, at a giant store. Yeah. And they say they are reusable and recyclable. <laughs> They're made in the USA, uh, and at the very top of the website it says, "Liberal paper straws don't work." That's so funny. <laughs> I love that story. Liberal just, paper straws don't work. Get this: stand with President Trump. I'm and by to say liberal socialist <laughs> paper straws. <laughs> Stand paper with straws President fight. Trump. The other ones don't. Right. <laughs> and buy your pack of recyclable straws today. So there you are. There you are. If That's the country we're living in. And Bill. if you don't buy your plastic straws, go back where you came from. <laughs> I think is the, take uh, those is the ad, paper straws with you is the added line well that's a wrap for this edition of the uh, Bill Press Pod and today's uh, pod table Thank you for listening, and don't forget where to find us twice a week on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Wherever you go for your favorite podcast, we are there. And while you're there, please take the time to help us in three ways. First, subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Two, tell your friends to subscribe. And three, give us a great big five-star review and rating. We need your help to get the word out and grow the podcast. That's the best way to do it. So thanks to our panel, Joe Williams uh, from U.S. News and World Report. Thanks, Joe. Uh, thank you. Anna Trudeau, The Daily Beast. Thanks, Anna. Back on the road with you. And uh, Brad Woodhouse from Protect Our Care. Thank you, Bill. Great to see you all. Thanks for being here. Thank you again for listening. Come back for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. We'll be looking for you. Thank you.